Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslim CEO show. This is the place for you if you want to become an amazing leader and grow your organization or business to the next level. I'm your host, Muhammad Arshad, and I am honored to have with me the great Amal Name. How are you doing, bro? Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. I'm very good. Alhamdulillah. Yourself? Alhamdulillah. I'm really, really excited to have you on, bro, because um, I think some of the stuff that you've done is is insanely amazing. The places you've studied are amazing, uh, and the achievements that you've been recognized for are, are really, really great. So, Jazakallah Khair, thank you so much yes, for joining me today. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so just to start off and give everyone some background, uh, Amr is the CEO of the great charity Penny Appeal, um, and you're also uh, an OBE. Is that the right terminology for it? it? OBE it, winner or OBE? Uh, uh, awarded it? an OBE, yes. Uh, this year in January, okay, alhamdulillah. So we're going to get into all of that. But before we do that, I just want to start with a very random question, okay? So I want to ask you, what was Armour like at 10 years old? <laughs> um, perhaps not too different to Armour today, to be quite honest. Um, I was the youngest of five kids. Um, uh, so I grew up in this uh, environment where, you know, lots of cousins, extended cousins, and even when not, they were brothers and sisters. We, um, uh, I don't know if your your viewers would actually know things like the famous five, Enid Blyton wrote this thing, and these famous five used to watch on the TV. Um, and so we were yeah. five kids, and the famous five were five, well, four kids and, and one dog. I had to play the dog. Um, so uh, uh, it, it was fun. I mean, there was never a moment where there wasn't fun. Mum was an amazing woman. Um, uh, Dad was an amazing man. Um, so we, we were up in a very loving family, um, very playful, um, quite relaxed. Um, so, yeah, I, well, not too different to now. I mean, I always say, you know, I, I feel like I'm only 24 in my head. Um, uh, so my, my body might be 49 years old, but my head... Uh, feels like it's 24 years old, and it's the same thing in terms of. Uh, I'm sure I was not too dissimilar. Okay, and do, do you remember what you wanted to be a at that pilot. age? Yeah, I a had pilot. the helmet, okay, I had the glasses, amazing. I had the works. I remember going to Pakistan when okay. I was five, um, and I actually literally I walked onto the plane. Just me and my mum went together, and I walked onto the plane with the whole kit on, and they saluted me. And one of my wow. cousins, they he pinched my kit from me in Pakistan. I never got it back. Um, but yeah, always a pilot. But I, something tells me I think every boy that age either wants to be a footballer or a pilot. So I want to be. Amazing. Okay, you know I, I'm kind of looking into your journey and stuff, and I really, I'm really, really pleased that you know you've got great expertise when it comes to uh, management consulting and you know leadership and development and things like that. Tell me a little bit about uh, like your education. Where did it all kind of start? How did it go from pilot to the kind of things you're doing? Okay, now? so it depends how far back you really want me to go. Um, I went to uh, a run-of-mill inner-city comprehensive. Um, uh, you know. My parents understood the value of education, but being first generation into um, uh, the country, they didn't really understand the education system ever so well. So I went to the closest school to home, for example, and then the closest high school to home, and the easiest college to go to. It wasn't really that these were selected in any way, um, as strategically or anything on those lines. We know a lot more now for our kids, and we, we make different decisions for them. But at that time, as long as you're in school, 
that's um that's a good thing. But what they were able to do uh, was, you know, take the slipper off and make sure that you were doing your homework and you know, um, and, and revising when you should. They didn't know what I was revising, but they at least made sure I was revising. Um, uh, so Saint Margaret's Church of England School, uh, nothing special. Inner city Manchester, very kind of. Uh, it, it literally borders on Moss Side, and some of your viewers might know Moss Side. Moss Side is where the riots happened back in yep. the day. Um, so it, it's, it's a really deprived area in that in, in that sense. Uh, so we lived in Wally Range. Um, so nothing special in terms of that education. The college I went to, uh, South Manchester Community College, within Shores campus, doesn't exist anymore. They knocked it down. It was so dilapid. Um, uh, but... Uh, I think there is probably where I perhaps came out of my shell a little bit more. Uh, I think up until uh, college, I was just you know, day to day. Uh, I was doing it because I have to do it. And what were you studying at college? Uh, just at my that time? Nothing special. Yeah, English. No, sorry, uh, maths, biology, uh, and chemistry. Um, uh, and. Uh, but there, actually, I think that was a place where I actually found a circle of, of friends um, who I think actually made me, give me a sense of belonging, made me understand what relationships are, made me understand what friendships really are and what they really can be. I think then prior to that, I didn't have a circle of Muslim friends, for example, or Asian friends, for example. I went to a mixed school and my friends were very diverse. Um, uh, and they were good, nice, solid friends, but there was no attachment after school. After I left primary school, I didn't keep in touch with those kids. After I left secondary school, I didn't keep in touch with those kids. College, however, I have friends now. Um, I'm 49 years old. From friends I actually had when I was in my college days. So we built relationships. And, wow. and I've always said leadership's about relationships. Um, uh, mm. The complexity in relationships, if you can do that well, you're actually in leadership territory by definition. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's where I first started learning you know, what it means to, to relate to another, um, what it means to compromise yeah. with and compete with and, and, and collaborate with. Um, didn't do very well, by the way, at college. I was too, I was too busy messing about with the friends. And <laughs> <so early laughs> what I, should have. I think mum's duty wasn't as hard at that point. Maybe she was getting older and her hands were getting frailer. It didn't hurt as much. Maybe yeah. I was getting a little bit more resilient. Um, so didn't quite um, uh, work out the way it should have in the education uh, side of things. Um, but I think because I had good um, O levels, as they were called at that time, GCSE equivalent, good O levels, and kind of got away with uh, I would say smart genes. My dad's a very, very exceptionally smart guy, um, so I inherited the genes. Um, uh, so managed to just about get uh, into pharmacy uh, at Sunderland. Um, now at the time I had not even heard of Sunderland. I was a Manchester lad, inner city, born and bred. Uh, Sunderland, wh where even is it? Um, so I, I accepted the offer because um, Subhanallah, Allah was very kind of merciful on me by even arranging for that offer to come my way, given given my results. Um, but to be quite honest, I also accepted the offer because some of my friends had said, "Oh, we'll come to Sunderland with you." Um, <laughs> so what happened though I get yeah. to Sunderland and one at a time they all fell off by the wayside so I ended up in Sunderland all on my own um, but wow. I sorted myself out in terms of understanding the, the importance of education the importance of getting down and, and doing so as a good boy should um, do 
I got my dis- distinction, uh, first class honours, sorry, uh, in pharmacy, uh, graduated from there, went to a small uh, Lincolnshire town called Spalding uh, to do my pre-reg. Again, I was the only Asian face in Spalding, so it was really interesting. So I'm in the pharmacy doing my um, pre-registration, but then if I went to the bank to do anything, you know, the girls behind the counter, you know, taking their watches off saying, I've got a rush here. Can you advise me on this rush a little bit? And I'm going, I'm here to, I'm here to deposit a check. Can you show me, right? Because they knew I was the lad from the pharmacy. Um, uh, but it was a great experience. Uh, and I had a, a great manager, uh, Dave Walters, his name was. Um, it was really interesting because I actually went to a training program with him once. And he had to introduce me, I had to introduce him to this kind of wider cohort of people. And he actually, he's, he literally, this is the way he introduced me. He goes, this is Armour Naeem. Quite surprisingly, he only went to a comprehensive. <laughs> so you can well imagine what Spalding's like in terms of they all go to private school. Um, and that's the yeah. kind of place. But again, culturally, it was a, a good thing for me to go to and get experience to and, 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 and have exposure with. So, uh, lovely year. I really enjoyed it. Um, worked with Boots the Chemist. Worked my way up the ranks. Uh, at one moment in time, I was the youngest ever manager that the Boots chain of retail stores actually had. Um, it was a great accolade. Oh, okay. um, they always say, once a Manchester boy, always a Manchester boy. So I just, I wanted to go home at that point. Um, uh, so I spoke to my uh, district manager and said, look, I want to go home. Uh, Manchester's home. Can you transfer me uh, there? Um, in order to try and keep me, they dangled this carrot of uh, store four in Bilbra, Bilbra, Nottingham. Uh, I said, well, we'll give you management of this store if you stick around. I said, home can wait, it's fine, let's go to Nottingham. I ended up spending 10 years in Nottingham. Um, uh, got married there. Um, uh, uh, completed my MBA from Nottingham University Business School as well, um, uh, which took me into uh, uh, consultancy work, leadership development uh, work and similar. So I am, um, uh, for, for the last 15 years, I've been designing and delivering leadership development programs. Um, uh, so along with the consultancy, I was doing the training. So the consultancy eventually led to me doing contracts within the third sector, within specifically the Muslim community. Um, and at the time, once upon a time, I was doing a uh, a gig with Minab when it was first forming the Mosque and Imams National Advisory Board. Uh, and these are four entities: uh, the MCB, BMF, Mab, and the Al Khoi Foundation. And you can well imagine the diversity there amongst that group. Um, mm. uh, so there were, there were trust issues, they were just forming, um, they needed to have strategic direction. So myself and a, uh, another chap called Yasin Rahim, uh, I was the Sunni cohort, he was the Shia cohort, uh, the Sunni and the Shia facilitator. Um, uh, and our job was to, after this weekend, get them to be hugging each other and uh, working together, but also have some strategic direction. I I like the strategic yeah. direction stuff. Yasin likes the whole huggy, cuddly stuff. Uh, so we kind of divvied that up in terms of that's your job, this is my job. Um, but at the time, it was Dr. Bari, I believe. Um, he was the second of the NCB. Um, and uh, he was just asking me, you know, what you're doing? Um, and I was just kind of telling him about the work I do. And he said, I need you to just try and do the same work you're doing, but in the Muslim community, as opposed to where you're working and where 
where you go and directing, you seem to be going towards mainstream. Because um, we're a bit of a brain the Muslim community is concerned. You guys get yourselves educated and you disappear off to PwC and EY and all those things. Stay mm. and work with yeah. the community. Uh, not as a volunteer, as a professional. Because um, otherwise we just do the voluntary stuff with, with, with the Muslim community and we do the professional stuff. Um, there he goes, I want you to try and earn a living for the Muslim community. I said, Joe, okay, I didn't know I was, I was a, the early stages of my consultancy. Um, I gave it a go, and so apparently, no, he was actually absolutely right. There was, there was more than enough work there, definitely a lot of need there. Um, uh, so, I, and then I actually found my, my kind of passion within the charity sector, uh, uh, specifically. I mean, I think by default, most of the, the assets, the wealth, uh, the more established entities within the Muslim community or other charities anyway. So I don't think there's much in terms of choices, uh, if, if that makes sense. Uh, but still, it, it became a passion too. Um, uh, and eventually it brought me to, to Penny Appeal, where I kind of then hung up my consultancy kind of hat uh, and, and took a permanent role. Amazing, amazing, I'm sure. One question I got for you, which is quite um, an interesting point for me, is that a lot of the time, guys who go into fields like um, dentistry and pharmacy and this and that, they're not your typical kind of business management consultant mm -hmm. type guys. So how did that go from, like, like, what was it in your mind that kind of made you think more about, you know, management yeah. and consultancy and not why not just open up lots of pharmacies like most well, of the pharmacies that's, that's, do? That's a really good question because... I think because I was an accidental pharmacist. Um, so the, the, the part of pharmacy I liked most is, I always said it was like a puzzle in terms of, you know, when, when you have someone come to the counter and they've got a problem um, and you talk to them and you explore and you find what that problem is uh, and then you actually work together to try and get a solution to it. And that solution is me signposting mm -hmm. and find that solution is something I've got in terms of a concoction even better. Um, if I'm honest, that was the only part of pharmacy I enjoyed. Um, the rest of pharmacy was, I just, I just, subhanAllah, Allah blessed me with an offer from Sunderland and I ended up becoming a pharmacist because that was the only thing on the plate. It was not, it was not a strategic decision, it was a, a default position. Um, but that, that's why I found, uh, especially when I was working with Boots, um, I gravitated much more towards the business management side, running the store as running the pharmacy. Yeah. Um, and, and Boots at that time, and it's a very different animal now, but Boots at that time was very very um, uh, much around cost saving in terms of if you've got a pharmacist and a pharmacist reasonably well paid yeah. in the shop, get that pharmacist to also be the manager. Um, why pay a separate manager and a pharmacist? You've got two hefty bills. Yeah. Um, so they were very much kind of trying to train the pharmacist to also be the manager. I remember reading something once um, around the, the the average management capabilities of a a boots manager and uh, a manager who was you know managing Sainsbury's or something along those lines. And the boots managers were here, and the Sainsbury managers were here, because these were all pharmacists, and they didn't really want to do the manager. They were yeah. reluctant managers. Actually, always wanted to go into management. They either worked for the ranks and became managers, or they were recruited in because they had MBAs, etc. Um, so their passion was management. Their passion was probably originally pharmacy, and they to be doing the management side. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the passion necessarily for pharmacy, um, but I did gravitate naturally towards the business and the management side. So actually, I think that's why that happened for me. And uh, so then naturally, 
when the opportunity presented and I could move out from the pharmacy element. And I never permanently moved out. And I literally only just had to, I, I served my time. So I concluded on my three years as uh, a fitness to practice member of the General Pharmaceutical Council. So I, I sat on the fitness to practice panel um, where you kind of, you see the naughty pharmacists and you have, have to <laughs> do the deeds. Um, uh, so I, I've never completely broken away from pharmacy, but I would, I much preferred the governance side and the uh, uh, the management side than I ever did the actual clinical side, which most pharmacists now would say the mm. clinical side is the funnest part. Uh, and it probably is, because yeah. um, that's the professional part, uh, if that makes sense. Business and profession. The profession part, for me, didn't actually attract me as much. Or the business side mm. <laughs> attracted me more. Which is why I, I, I think I just gravitated that way because of that. And so, you know, when it comes down to, like, before your time at Penny Peel and after Boots, uh, you said you were doing kind of like, um, you know, consultancy work. What kind of problems were you solving? What kind of uh, things were you doing on a day-to-day um, basis? Finally, you know, I, I, I'm, I've been a strong believer in, you know, you can get by anywhere with common sense and hard work. Um, you know, mm. with the exception of rocket science, nothing is rocket science, if that makes sense, yeah? Um, and, and so if you just apply yeah. yourself and you've got the common sense, you can solve pretty much any problem. So, I mean, I often found I went mm. into organizations and I think, this is a problem? <laughs> okay, yes, I can solve it. And I mean, it, as part of my MBA, I specialized in, in str- the strategy side. Um, so I would help build strategy for organizations. But the reality is building a strategy for an organization when they don't actually have the capacity to deliver it. Is, is is a piece. Mm. Is, is a, it's a strategy document that sits on a on a on a shelf and doesn't get implemented. So what I was finding is I was I was helping build those strategies, but then actually it was very clear that they didn't actually have the operational capability, the skill set to actually often deliver on it. And um, so I actually then found that you know that's where I was assisting. It's look this is where we're ending. It's important for you to know where your direction is, um, and I can give you all the detail behind it. Here's the detail if you want that kind of stuff seal of why we're ending that way. Um, uh, if you're really interested, but don't worry about the seed of it. This is where we're ending. Let's let's start doing these things that can move us closer to that way. So I actually ended up then getting involved more operational stuff, which were incrementally moving mm. organizations in the right direction. Um, so it it became as much operational support as it ever did strategic. Sure. I mean, it reminds me of that whole uh, Peter Drucker saying where culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so I guess you were working, like you built the strategy, but then you were working on the culture and the operations to actually make it implementable. And and one of the issues we actually have within many organizations, and I'm not talking about the Muslim sector necessarily, I'm talking about any any sector, is, you know, we genuinely want to do, we want to head to a different direction. We don't understand that culture and our habits that we've actually formed over time are actually working completely against that. Um, uh, and so, which is why you know, culture absolutely does eat, 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 eat strategy for breakfast, because uh, the culture is going to either hold you back, or if you've got a different kind of culture and it's dynamic, um, uh, and it, it, it's, it's a goal-getting culture, you might not even have a strategy, but because you've got that goal-getting culture in the organisation, you don't need the detail, you don't need that document, because you know, you know, we're heading that way. Bismillah. Yeah, you've actually got the culture and the team and the enthusiasm and the tenacity to just take you that way. It's always about the team and it's the team that builds the culture. Mm, amazing. And so like at Penny Appeal, like 
you know, for me, I was speaking to uh, Adim recently, right? And we kind of touched upon Penny Appeal and stuff. And I was just saying, I felt like, you know, you guys came out of nowhere. Like, there's these charities that have been around for decades and decades and decades, right? Since our uh, forefathers arrived in this country. Um, and Penny Appeal just seems like it came from nowhere uh, and it became really big. Uh, and it's now a major charity, mm -hmm. mashallah. And, you know, I was looking at some of the figures and it's like you guys, you know, you and your team, you guys grew it from like, you know, 100K to what, 20, 20 million? Yeah, so the year we've um, just closed, um, uh, so those accounts haven't been published yet, um, we were 28 and a half million. Uh, so the, the, the one you'll see on the, on the charity social website currently is around 24 uh, million. Uh, but we actually also in this year received uh, significant in-kind donations and field. So the accounts would actually say something close to around 34 million. But I always count real money, as I say it. Real money is what we've generated from the community here, uh, Alhamdulillah, from the UK effort. Uh, is just over 20, 20, 28 million, Alhamdulillah. So how, how do you, like, this is this is one of the reasons why I was so excited to speak to you, really, because I want to know, like, about this journey of how do you grow something from 100K, which a lot of people can get to, to producing something that does tens of millions, you know? Same formula I said to you before, hard work and common sense. Um, uh, and you, you, you just have to put the time in. No, I, I kid you not, we've not done anything. And if you actually look to see what Penny Blue's actually done, I mean, I'll, I'll talk to you about what is different, of course, in just a moment, but the yeah. vast majority, when I say the vast majority, over 90% is business as usual, normal stuff. Yeah? We have a, an online presence. Um, social media is social media. Facebook is Facebook. Um, a website is a website. Our website, uh, another organization's website, they're just websites. Um, uh, events are events, you know, charitable events. Dinners are dinners. Um, telethons are telethons, you know. There's nothing that you can say, oh, Pinnacle does this differently in terms of actual, yeah. if you look at the, the ingredients, the building blocks, the building blocks, same building blocks. What we did was we just colored it somewhat differently. Um, uh, so uh, I am what I would call confidently Muslim and comfortably British. Mm -hmm. And there is a, a, a massive uh, need and a want for British Muslims to have that sense of belonging. But it's very difficult to to sometimes even define what it means to be Muslim. Are we talking about Sunni Muslim, Shia Muslim, or is it Salafi? Um, are there other kind of denominations? Is that what it means to be Muslim? Or what, what was the Islam of the Prophet Because he obviously wasn't all these things. But then what was that? Like everyone would say, no, no, we're following his way. But everyone would say they're following his way. So it's a very difficult question sometimes. That's what does it even mean to be Muslim? And actually, in terms of your uh, organizational practice, uh, not, not, talking about, not talking about your ibadat here, but I'm talking about your muamalat side. In terms of your organizational practice, it almost doesn't matter what color is anyway. So if you're too busy focusing about the denomination, yeah, that's not going to help your organization. Um, but once you then understand that, actually, look, it doesn't matter. I am Muslim. The point is I'm Muslim. Yeah? And I'm confidently Muslim. And I'll continue to explore what that means. Because look, one of my, uh, many people's journey has changed from this color or that color. Well, I've got this awareness. I used to hang out with that group and then it became one of those. Now I hang out with this group and it became one of those. 
many people tell you those stories. Yeah. Um, uh, and so that's always going to evolve somewhat. As you learn, you get older, you're going to uh, refine and, and similar. But then also, what does it mean to be British? Um, that I know itself is a complex question. Um, combine the two together, Allahu Akbar. I always thought, because I am confident in Muslim and comfortably British, I could bottle it and, and sell it to someone. But that's just way too hard. But what we managed to do was explore that conversation through the charitable work we do. Um, and I think people are actually resonating to and are attracted to the fact that we're confidently Muslim, comfortably relevant to the society we're in. Um, we call that, in terms of the strapline, we call it comfortably British, but the actual thing I'm talking about is be confidently Muslim and comfortably relevant to the place you're in. Yeah? Uh, uh, that's just too many lines for a strapline, so we say comfortably British. Yeah? Uh, uh, and then the last one is, you know, just also be funky, be fun. Yeah, be attractive, I suppose, is the term. And uh, often, you know, we, we frown and, you know, as, as, as Muslims, uh, we need to... Look, smiling is a sunnah. Smiling is a sunnah for a reason, because it's contagious. People love people who smile. People frown when you frown. Um, so that the charitable element of a smile is quite straightforward, because, you, you know, you release the, the endorphins um, and similar. And so people feel happy because you're happy. Um, so be funky and be happy. Yeah? Uh, so combine those three together, which is giving them confidence in their identity, but some fun at the same time. Yeah? Uh, it doesn't mean uh, just because you're confident in your identity, you're going to be serious. Yeah? Uh, you can be funky and fun, relevant, and then be relevant. Yeah? And I think because we flavored everything in that way, we actually found there's a new const new constituency. Um, Adima often used to say to me, he goes, Amma, you know, we don't have a... Because I mean, if you look at some of the other organizations, there's, there's often a figurehead. There's a, a B, there's, 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 yeah. there's, there's someone says that there's a Jamaat. So this organization follows this kind of Jamaat, so that kind of movement. This one has a B at the head, and thus, you know, people are following that, and they've got their congregation. Where's our congregation? Surely we need to bring someone in who has a congregation and a following so that we can actually capitalize on that. I said, actually, British Muslims are our congregation. Yeah, we don't need that person, but we do need the identity, of course. Uh, and so we think mm. we, we, it was yeah. about building that identity and then exploring that identity with people. That's why we have things like you know, the British Muslim pantomime, um, uh, you know, Super Muslim comedy tour, uh, the nishidicals. So we, people have musicals, we have nishidicals. You know? um, uh, and it's just yeah. about exploring what does it mean to be confidently Muslim and comfortably British. This... this um, Winter just gone, we did, uh, our winter campaign was hooked around what would Jesus do? So it was what would Jesus, alayhi salam, do? Um, uh, and uh, again, that was, why, why would British Muslims not be having a conversation about Jesus around Christmas time? Yeah, because you can't be a, a Muslim unless you believe in Jesus. And so the whole country yeah. is, okay, more the whole country is talking about shopping, but after shopping, if the whole country is talking about Jesus, why are we not talking about Jesus yeah. too? You know? And that's what it means to be confidently Muslim, because we can tell our story, um, but comfortably British too, because let's join the conversation. And we, we trended at number one on Twitter on Christmas Eve, and there was a whole lot of conversation going on that Muslims have taken over Jesus on Christmas Eve. It was brilliant. And so it's about exploring that, and I think it really gives people you know, that confidence and that sense of belonging and then all we're doing the rest is the same the rest is then we're you know putting a website in front of people putting an event together fundraising 
Um, uh, and similar, there's nothing different other than the flavour. Yeah, I think I think there's some really amazing lessons in there, though. I mean, um, you're so right that all the charities out there, they all have websites, they all have campaigns, they all have all these things. Um, you know, I I, uh, I do a lot of branding. We do a lot of uh, identity work, getting the trust up with the community. Um, and I was very impressed, firstly, by Penny Appeal in terms of the name, because, you know, it's like a very, like, you're just asking for a penny, right? Um, and then it was like, you know, the whole thing around... Uh, like a small change, big difference type of thing, right? That it's a tiny thing you'll do and there's a massive difference. So I just thought the identity was so cool. But now that I'm like hearing you speak about it, like some of the things you're saying is, is really coming out to me that you've kind of transformed the way charity's been given in the Muslim community, right? Because in the Muslim community, it's always... Uh, dun, 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 you know, like terrible things are happening in the world, and you know, Muslims, you guys need to do something. And you guys, like, you you took it very, like you said, fun and funky, and like orange in terms of like the color and very lively, and 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 you made it something yeah. positive, right? Um, and and that's carved you out to be very different. And I guess that's one of the things that's really uh, accelerated your growth so much, in the sense that if you had just come across like every other old charity in the old days where it was like, you know, there's disasters happening, give to the disasters, you would have just been seen like those other guys. But you actually carved out something. And I think, um, you know, what you're saying about uh, uh, this whole thing about being um, confidently Muslim and comfortably British, this is a massive issue for anyone living in Britain who's Muslim. Because, you know, as we, when we were kids, we were talking about you going to Pakistan and things like that. You know, when we used to go to Pakistan, they would say to us, you guys are like from the UK, you're not from here. Yeah, and, and we, we would think that we're Pakistani because over here when we were kids we get like rejected because of racism and this and that. And so we were kind of like conflicted, right? So I think the identity you're creating is amazing. And then, you know, anyone who hasn't seen it, they should go and look at your campaigns like um, as British as. You know, the, the campaign you guys did with, with the tea and stuff like that, it was a wonderful campaign. Very, very clever in the way it's executed. So my question to you really is like, you know, when you're kind of, uh, coming on because when you first came on I'm sure like Penny Appeal was kind of like you know uh, taking shape and taking form what's the kind of core things you did like in this in these last you know I think nine years or six years what, what have you been kind of doing and what's been the main role that you've been playing myself personally my, I suppose myself personally is uh, I suppose two main things number one is uh, the relationships in the office um, <laughs> for a long time we didn't actually have an HR department because um, I mm. always felt that HR is the job of the leader. Um, uh, so it's, it's my job to be uh, resolving people's issues. It's my job to, to have the finger on the pulse in terms of people, how they're feeling, etc., etc. That was all until I met someone who know, knew HR significantly better than I knew HR. So when Samia came on board, mm. alhamdulillah, then actually was, oh, I see, that's how it's supposed to be, not I'll leave you to it now. Yeah? Uh, so um, <laughs> she's taught me a thing or two. Um, Again, I've always said that leadership's around being able to uh, manage people who are smarter than you. If you can manage people who are smarter than you, uh, who you'll also learn from too, that's actually one of the core essences of leadership. Because then, you know, they make you look good. It, I mean, there's a mantra in the office, we say it's teamwork that makes the dream work. But the reality is, look, it really is this team that's made the dream work. If you were to come into Penny Peel and say, identify the one person who made this magic happen, you really genuinely couldn't. You say, oh, actually, there's a bit of him, and there's a bit of her. I can see there's a bit of him in it, and I can see because that's the reality of what actually happened. You, you empower the right people 
and I, I accept sometimes it's really hard to find the right people. Um, but if you empower the right people, and then, and you you learn how to be comfortable when they you might be if I'm sitting in the big chair, and I'm still learning from them, and I'm still taking direction from them. Um, and if you can become comfortable with that, uh, then actually you've understood what it actually means to have that relationship element of real leadership. Uh, and yes, of course, you course correct when required, and you'd have veto if required. But if you've got the right people, and then that's never going to be necessary. They're always going to be doing the right thing. So this team, in essence, has, has delivered that work. And my job's merely been to make sure that they're empowered as much as possible. And the other thing, I suppose, uh, in terms of me specifically, it's always been about horizon scoping. Um, so, I mean, while they're, they're thinking about the business of the day, I'm thinking about what we're doing, you know, 12 months from now, 24 months from now. Um, uh, and we're building that strategy. So we know where we're going um, and we're having those strategic conversations to make sure we're moving closer and closer to it. Even though I don't have a plan, um, uh, my personality is such that I will make a plan, but I very rarely stick to it. Um, um, mm. uh, but you make the plan for A, giving a bit of certainty to the team because it's an uncertain world. Um, so people need to be able to sometimes see that detail um, and that's fine. So you've got to have the plan. But more important than plan is actually knowing destination. So as long as you're destination, mm. you can you can you can have those strategic conversations and evolve your way to destination. Um, and that's more my personality in that way. So I'm constantly horizon scoping what are we doing uh, 12 months from now, 24 months from now, uh, and make sure we're we're moving in those directions. So I, I think they're the probably two biggest. I mean, I'm, I have a, a diary which I and my diary are not friends at all. Um, uh, mm. Uh, so I'm constantly busy. Allah knows what I'm busy doing, you know. Um, uh, I'm constantly busy, but I'd say those two things are the really two most important parts of, of of the job. Okay. And when it comes to like leadership, right? Who's who's like a, a leader or someone that's kind of inspired you or you've learned a lot from when it comes to leadership? Well, that is a question. Um, you know, Smiley, there there's leadership all around you. Um, and I mean, I could give you an obvious name like Mandela, and I, I absolutely tell you that yes, I, I found his resilience. You know, uh, you know, I, I really recently this year I went to visit Robin Island as well, um, uh, and okay. uh, so Robin Island, Robin is Island the prison, prison where he was kept, kept right? right? Yep. And for someone to okay. come out of that torturous place and and be good to go, um, it's not that he said, look, give me, mm. you know, give me six months off, I need to recover. He was good to go, and that resilience is a really important leadership characteristic um, tenacity resilience is a really important thing um, uh, and so there's there's elements I can learn from him, but there's elements I would actually suggest you perhaps don't learn from him too if, if that makes sense um, but there's everyday leaders around you whether they're you know executive directors of you know hospital trusts for example um, mm. well, someone once actually said to me recently recently they they said you know the, the mark of a person is how much you're going to be missed when you're gone uh, so how good a leader you were, you were was actually when you're gone, are people going to miss you? How good a person you are is how, when you're gone, are people going to be missing you? Um, uh, and I don't know if uh, uh, you're aware of, but recently a, a, a great man, uh, his name was Nabil Alazmi, um, he passed away recently. Uh, he was a friend, um, yeah. And when he was uh, uh, getting close to the end, I, I spent uh, a morning with him uh, at, at home by his bed. And so, you know, I went because 
it's the right thing to do to visit someone who's unwell and you know, to give him some support. Yeah. He was speaking very positively on the phone anyway, and I thought, no, he's 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 in a he's in an extremely uh, positive place despite his 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 issues. I, I should go and see him. But you go with this mindset of you're going to help. Uh, subhanAllah, you know what? Knowing what he was going through, knowing where he was in his life at that moment in time, knowing that actually he knew he was going to, he was getting close to the end, it was not long before he was coaching me. Um, and wow, subhanAllah, and I'm, I'm, I'm there and I'm, I'm, abs- I'm noting it. I'm, I'm, I, I'm thinking, how's he done that? How's he actually twisted it? So that instead of me talking to him and, and, and trying to give him strength, he's, he's telling me what I should be doing with Penny Peel. He's thinking about what I should be doing. You must do this. You're sure you're doing this. And I'm thinking, I'm getting a coaching session from Nabil at this stage in his life. And if that's not inspirational, subhanAllah, what else is inspirational? And we have these leaders all around us. You know, I, I, the leadership programs I, I deliver, there's a very common mantra people actually use. They say, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that's merely a matter of, you know, you've actually got the right eyes. Your understanding has changed, because the understanding changed. So one, actually, this was ahead of me, uh, in front of me all that time. And so, actually, if I was to put you in a room with my 11-year-old son, and you had the right attitude and the right eyes, you'd learn something from him as well. Um, uh, so, I mean, today, uh, it's one of the 20th of September, is, is the 12-month anniversary my mother passed away. Um, and she was an inspirational leader, uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, because of the impact of what she did. She had massive influence and she had massive impact uh, in terms of what she managed to actually leave behind, given the limited resources she actually had. I'm, I'm sitting here now at Pennyfield with significant resources at my hands. Um, it's arguably a lot easier to, to pretend to be a leader when you're in this setting. Um, what resources did she have? And look what she actually managed to create. Pennyfield is what it is today because of what she did. And, and that's mm-hmm. leadership. Um, so these leaders are all around us. We just have to be able to see them. Yeah. Oh, you're making me emotional now, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. But yeah, I think, I think this is very true. I completely agree. Like, leadership's all around us, man. And you're right. Uh, we're very blessed to have people uh, like Nabil, like your mom and others that really like even in secret they're amazing leaders you know for us on stage and in video it's so easy to kind of play that role like you said but to do it when there's no one around it's just you and your child and and do that it's 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 amazing inshallah so it's wonderful um what i want to ask you is that like if there's someone up and coming now and they're kind of like thinking about leadership and they're like this is something i feel like i really want to give myself to like what's the advice you've got for them like developing themselves to kind of start to take that leadership because it can be scary right like you've never done it before but yet you you have the desire to make a difference and do something good what kind of training or how do you kind of go through a process of someone becoming a leader wow um uh, so of course there's the skills element um but I would say there's also the energy element. Um, uh, so leadership's about power, but that comes in time. Yeah. It's about influence, influencing people to a direction you want them to go. Um, <laughs> but in yeah. order to, to attain that power and uh, attain that influence, leadership's also about what we've already talked about, relationships. So if you're up and coming, so I was in the early, uh, early parts of it, um, uh, if there's one thing I'd actually ask people to really genuinely focus on, is relationships what 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 mm. is empathy and how do you empathize and are you more empathetic today than you were yesterday and are you conscious of it because it's really important that you're conscious of it you're very 
that I'm aware that, you know, subhanAllah, I'm perhaps not being empathetic. Um, I'm not being able to put myself in someone else's shoes, see the world from, from, from their eyes. Um, yeah. uh, so practice those relationship components. Practice how to build a rapport. Um, practice how to communicate in the various ways. Whether it is, I mean, people often misunderstand that communication is about oratory and standing on a stage and doing the speech. It is a part, but it's actually a small component part. Communication is much, much wider than that. So how do you communicate with all those different people? Those people who are actually on a high, maybe coming at you aggressively, or maybe ex- exercised. How do you match them and then bring them down to where you need them to be to be optimal, as opposed to necessarily excessive? Uh, but at the same time, how can you how can you sit with someone uh, intimately and 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 coach them and guide them through a through a state which they actually they might not be feeling very good, yeah, um, or they just might be sober people. Um, so how have that be able to do the dance, I suppose, do the dance of the various types. Because uh, once you've actually managed to, to build relationships, at the core of leadership is my strong belief. Um, uh, and uh, I'm currently co-authoring a book on leadership as well. Uh, and what we, we, we talk right. about at its core is trust. You need to build the trust. Yes. Um, and there's lots of words. There's lots of words like respect and similar as well. But for me, if you talk about leadership, it includes all those things like respect and empathy and emotional intelligence and political intelligence and vision and strategic thinking. Of course it does. Um, uh, but at its very core, it's trust. Now trust in, it, in, in, its, in its form has two limbs as well. One is, are you trustworthy? Do you have the integrity? Do you have the character? Um, uh, the Prophet was sent to perfect our character. Um, but what does that actually mean? In the Muamalat side as well, if that makes sense. Uh, so it, it means you have to, humility is important, but actually so is, you know, professionalism. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi people often talk about Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and say, you know, he was a very humble man. He was a very humble man, but he wasn't a humble man on the battlefield. Yeah? No, no, after you, you go first. Yeah? He, was, he had professional competency on the outside and humility in the center. Um, and it's quite paradoxical sometimes being able to, how can you have that competency and professionalism and also say that you've you got the humility too. And it's a, it's a hard thing to attain um, because sometimes they're working against each other. But he was a perfect example of the fact that it can be done. And you constantly need to strive to with developing that kind of character. But the other part of trust is then people need to be able to trust you to deliver as well. So there's a competency element to trust. Um, uh, so you can't just be a nice guy. You're a nice guy who can do it too, um, and that's that, that's that's e- a lot more easy to train. Yeah, learn those skills, experience, and it's 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 unfortunate that you know you do need the experience. You need to have had those knocks. You need to have had those opportunities to to flex your leadership muscles. Um, had a playground to play in. Got it right. Got it wrong. Had a mentor. Seen someone else do it. Seen someone else do it well, or see someone else do it badly. That takes time. That takes you to put yourself out there in the field and, 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 and it'll take you that time. But you just kind of almost got to go over that journey. Um, but again, if you've got the right eyes, you'll spot it all around you. So that building trust. So leadership is easy. Building trust is hard. <laughs> Once you build the trust, the rest will be easy. Yeah? You, you've got to do that part though first. You have to be someone who people can genuinely trust. Um, uh, and uh, the rest comes easy after that. 
Yeah, amazing. I mean, this is this is why I love speaking to different people like yourself because you know the the way you everyone defines leadership differently, and I think some of the key things you're talking about, like relationship, trust, empathy, these are things that people don't think about when they think about leadership. But you're right; these are the critical factors uh, in in making your leadership stronger and it's better. Also, because um, it depends on how you're defining leadership too. Because if you're defining leadership in terms of the corporate sector. Um, uh, they're often being really ruthless and brutal. Mm. Yeah? Uh, yeah, you know, you, you often find your know, entrepreneurs and businessmen and these guys—they've made good money, yeah, but they made good money being good entrepreneurs and being good businessmen, mm. yeah, or being pioneers. Yes. That's not leadership. Don't 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 mistake pioneers because you can be a pioneer, but you can be a pioneer there on your own. You'll be out there on your own. Yes. 